attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Glenn Nesper. That's right. Glenn Nesper right here. We had a great talk uh, up in Eagle River, which is his home as you probably know, if you know who Glenn is. Uh, you're going to dig that. First and foremost, let me say to you, Happy New Year. 2017, going to be the best one yet. 2016, uh, just relentless on its way out the door. Taking celebrities with it and uh, finishing off with that incredible New Year's Eve night performance from Mariah Carey. Not to get too current events about things, but oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. But 2017 is upon us, so... Take a chance today or tomorrow to sit down, take a deep breath, and reflect on the year past and the year coming, and uh, let's all get together and decide that 2017 is going to be the best one yet. How about that? You know why it's going to be the best one yet? Because it's celebrating the 90th summer of Camp Ojibwa. That's right. May 6th, 2017. You knew it was coming. I snuck it right in there on you. OJ90.com. Go check out the details. In just a couple weeks, tickets are going to be available. You're going to be excited. You're going to want to go ahead and book a room now. It's going to be huge. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm already fired up. You should be too. It's going to be amazing. Okay, enough about that. Here we go. Glenn Nesper on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. foremost for the record please say your name and your years at Camp Ojibwa. Uh, my name is Glenn Nesper. I was waterfront director in the late 70s. Uh, I worked maintenance in the early 80s and then was head counselor through the 80s uh, into early 90s. Nice. So I had uh, I believe 15 years at camp. Wow. Okay. So how did you first come to know about Camp Ojibwa? Denny was my wrestling coach in high school, and he wanted me to come up for a summer. And uh, I loved the North Country, so I was more than willing. I was delighted to be able to come up to camp and work on the waterfront. Nice. So you were old enough to already be a staff guy, but you are still in high school. It's like 17, 18. Right. Yeah. I was... Uh, I had just graduated from high school, and uh, I came up for the summer. Nice. So, what is uh, what's wrestling coach Denny like? Um, <laughs> That's different than Ojibwa uh, Denny, I guess. Denny was tough. Uh, he um, he got a lot out of me, but I cared a lot, 
So that was a good combination. So I was um, very fortunate. I had a great relationship with Den, and I had a very good career. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that when I see you guys together. I can tell that there's a lot of love there. That's awesome. So he tells you, he asks you to come up. You come to camp. You just drive yourself at that point? Yeah, I drove up and uh, came up and uh, got busy and found out how overwhelming it is to get a camp going at the beginning of a summer. Oh, sure. It's amazing. What's the very first thing you remember about seeing camp, like about actually getting to the grounds? I think that um, I came up the the drive, and Al Schwartz was on the roof of the office sweeping. (laughs) And I got real nervous because he was 70 years old or so by then. I was going to say, right there, yeah. And... um, So I just got my tail up here as quick as possible and tried to help him out. But, you know, he's pretty stubborn. He's going to do things his way. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I I started at camp in 2000, so I never had the joy of meeting either Al or Pearl. Uh, What was Al like? Al was as competitive a man as you'll ever meet. Um, But he was uh, stoically fair Mm. about things. So I, I thought he was uh, just a wise man. Yeah. And he was wonderful to be around. Nice. And now at that time, I know he was still pretty active. Was Pearl still pretty active as well? Pearl camp? was very active at camp. She was the secretary and, you know, she was a go-to person for, you know, finding out when something was going to happen, what needed to be done. Uh, Pearl was very active. Hmm. And sort of personality-wise, do you think? I mean, did you were you friendly with both of them? I mean, as a young staff guy coming on, I and was, them being I was very fortunate to be invited to the to their table for meals. Oh wow! And um, so I got to know Alan Pearl uh, and Mickey and Riva and uh, Denny and Sandy. All were at that table. So um, yeah, I. I Enjoyed them very, very much. Yeah. So you came up and you're working in the waterfront. Now you're living in the shack? I was living in the shack, right. Very nice. And it was uh, just just a wonderful opportunity to be up north for a summer yeah. and still make some money. What, what is the, uh, what's the waterfront look like at that time? Like what are the things that the kids like to do? What are the popular things? Well, the kids liked to ski, as much as possible. Hmm. Pearl liked them to all learn how to swim. <laughs> so as waterfront director, listening to Pearl, I did the best I could to get uh, a crew going, a staff going to to teach swimming. Sure. Uh, it's just a safety issue, no question about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it seems like historically the waterfront can be, you know, has always kind of been a tough spot to get kids to just kind of do the things you need them to do before they do all the fun stuff. Right. Um, we we got into fishing, too, because I like to fish, and we had kids fishing on the piers and, you know, measuring perch, and it was kind of fun. And every once in a while, somebody would catch a small muskie, and it just added to the whole Northwoods. It yeah. should be a part of it. Yeah, I, I always tell people it's funny because about once every other summer, 
some kids will be on a pontoon fishing and they'll haul in a muskie. And of course, you know, it scares them to death because usually right. it's like a cabin one or two kid. Right. And, <laughs> and the muskies as big as they are, you know, yeah. they're like, Oh my God, these things are in the water with us. Right. It's pretty cool. The kids, uh, like to bring them up and show them and it's, it's a big deal. Uh, did you have a co waterfront director or was it just yeah, Andy Weinberg? Okay. He was uh, a really good guy from Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got along fine. Nice. I mean, you know, the Waterfront Shack is known. Um, some pretty legendary names have, have lived in the Waterfront Shack. Right. Um, you know, Dennis Rosen, Dave Share. you know. I've heard Dave Share was at camp. <laughs> oh, boy. So when I was there on staff, uh, dressed like a pirate <laughs> through, through the whole summer. He's just a remarkable guy, a gymnast from uh, University of Illinois. He was a great guy. Yeah. I uh, I got to meet Dave through post camp now, and uh, we hit it off. I mean, you know, he's just such a great guy. It's got to be yeah. a stitch. The oh. stories are probably out of his sight. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you do a couple of years of the waterfront, and then you're doing maintenance. So are you living in, um, I guess, what people would call John or, or Scott's house now? But the, is it that house? Yeah. Or? It used to be Katie's house. Right. Katie lived there year round. And when Denny. Uh, took over camp, he asked me if I would move in with my then wife, uh, Sue. And so we moved in and had a couple children at camp. One of them was baptized in the lake. Wow. It was uh, really cool. My my boys benefited a lot from being in such a vibrant uh, environment as they were growing up, and both of them are very athletic and pretty good students too. So yeah, I can imagine what it's like for them to, you know, about June. Here's 300 of their best new friends or best oh, old friends coming back for the summer again. Yeah, and and guys, you know, my staff guys were great to my kids, so I I really appreciated that. Yeah, who uh, talking about your staff guys? Who are some of the guys that um, you remember from that time that are you just really stuck out for you guys you were close with? Um, Darren Annixter was a, a interesting character, and <laughs> John Goodman was a real horse of a guy who could do a lot of work. <laughs> David Sears, Jason Wallen, uh, Dave Scher. Um, I'm trying to think. Jim Warren was there for a year or two. Uh, and obviously anyone you might forget, you're not forgetting on purpose, of course. So no, don't be slighted and, if you... <laughs> and the nice thing is I come in June when they have the uh, good old boy games on that weekend and come and see guys and touch base with them and see what they're up to. And it's... Uh, that's always a treat. Yeah. I mean, that crew, I mean, specifically those guys you're talking about, they they really stick out, you know, as guys who just love camp. And they've loved camp all the way through and, and now, you know, find new ways to keep coming back. And whether it was the old-timer collegiate week and now it's the BPS, but sort of creating a way to keep camp a part of their life. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be wonderful to get in a vehicle in the morning in Chicago and know that they're heading for camp and they'll be there in five or six hours and spend the weekend. Um, those guys just have a riot here. They yeah, love it. Absolutely. Uh, and so then you move into being the head counselor. So for those, especially the guys who came later and, and don't know what that is, tell me a little bit, what's the head counselor position? Like what's your job if you're the head counselor? 
Um, Denny is extremely busy, and um, my role was to make sure that order was established, that uh, the staff was um, carrying their weight, and that um, I would deal with discipline issues with staff uh, unless I felt that it was necessary to bring Dennis in on him. Then he had a lot to do, so sure. um, I was kind of um, a go-between. If it got really serious and had to go to him, then then that's what that's what we did. But yeah. I tried to help him and take some of the load. Gotcha. Um, now, I mean, as I told you before, when I was asking you to come do the show. Um, your name has come up a ton, especially from, you know, that block of guys. So some of the guys you mentioned and, and a lot of the guys from the eighties, all, all the way up into, you know, early nineties guys really, who still remember, you know, uh, and some of them said, you know, you were a little tough. Um, <laughs> would you like to respond? <laughs> yeah, there's 200 plus kids on the grounds. There's 70 plus staff on the grounds. You know, you have a bunch of college guys. There's all kinds of possibilities for people to um, um, circumnavigate the uh, the rules, as it were. And my job was to to uh, keep people, you know, aware that there's a structure and a way to do things at camp that um, we want the least restrictive environment, but we want people to be responsible and respectful to each other. So my role was just to establish a presence so that people knew that there was somebody to go to when things were going uh, a direction that they ought not to. Nice. Uh, it seems like that definitely that 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 is right up the alley of what I've heard. Uh, without necessarily putting anyone's name under the bus, uh, are there any sort of notable instances you recall where you had to step in and be uh, sort of lay it out for someone? <clears throat> there were. I don't want to mention any names. Sure, of course. Of um, course. But I will mention David Rosen as uh, <laughs> one of the um, more creative staff members who um, at times would require some fatherly guidance. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't always listening to his own. <laughs> so David was uh, was a character, yeah. and we had a good time together. <laughs> he uh, he told a few stories. He told a few stories on himself. He, he then told a few stories that he asked me to not put on <laughs> on the episode because they were maybe a little bit too far, but, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he definitely, I can see him being a handful when he was right. younger and less, less bridled, I guess, than he is yeah. now. <laughs> willful. Uh, but it seems like something that you totally relished. I, you know, to me, camp, the whole summer camp thing is so amazing because it really is just like you described the BPS guys. Like it's a place where you get to go and just do whatever you want, have a great time. And, you know, within reason, as far as certain rules go, you really do have a lot of freedom, but camp doesn't work in the big picture sense, unless there are some guys like Denny, like yourself, 
I like to think like myself in certain situations who have their eye on that bigger safety picture, that bigger look of like, look, this is all awesome, but it only works if we keep this one loose boundary really taken care of. <laughs> yeah. There, there has to be that line and it's gotta be taken care of. Well, when you, when you embrace the notion that Denny has ultimate responsibility for all of these people at this place, you really want to uh, do what you can to help him so that things wind up safe. Um, he's just got an awesome responsibility, so I wanted to be as helpful as I could for keeping things in, in line. Yeah. We were, we were actually just talking about he and I, like, you know, in any given year, there's three or 400 between campers and employees people who just come on the grounds for various reasons. There's three, four, five, maybe 600 people these days, maybe even more, you know, I mean, that's bigger than the populations of some small towns. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and ultimately they all, it all comes down to that one director who carries the burden. Right. And, you know, you do have a lake and the lake is, uh, you know, has its own inherent dangers and, uh, it's just gotta be a vigil. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I, I started in 2000, and, and in that time, just in that time alone, it seems to me like the lake traffic and the types of boats that are out there just have grown exponentially year after year. Yeah. Was it already kind of becoming the case then? The lake has been a lot, the whole chain has been suburbanized. Mm. And um, it's not what you would call a fishing chain much anymore. Gotcha. It's just vehicle traffic. It's amazing. Yeah, and that definitely, uh, when you have a summer camp on that same lake, that definitely makes you go, oh, come on. <laughs> well, when I, when I was a kid, the average motor was a 15-horse motor. Now I would say that the average is over 100. Mm. So that's going to just change uh, safety issues for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you go on down the road. Now, when you, had come up, when you came up here that first year at camp, had you ever been up? In this part of the country? I, I started to come up here when I was seven. Mm. Uh, my parents took us up to Lac de Flambeau to stay at a, a resort. And I knew that I wanted to live up here in my life. Because every time I went back to the city, um, you know, a piece of my heart stayed up here. Yeah. And when I was, uh, oh, about... 27, 28 years old, I finally decided I'm going to graduate school and then I'm moving up north. So I uh, went to grad school at Madison, got a master's degree in history and moved up north. I wanted to teach and uh, I did. Uh, plus I wanted to hunt and fish and have it be a normal thing, normal part of my life. Mm. And uh it it has been, and I wanted to raise kids up here so that they had a connection to uh, to nature and uh, could fall back on that in their lives as a, a comfort zone. Yeah, that's awesome. So you had these different positions along the way, but for a couple of generations of campers, you're really an institution. I mean, you are... You've been here. They know who you are. You're, you know, you're a longtime camp guy. I think I any staff guy who gets over 10 years in anyway is already going to kind of be that, but maybe even more so. Um, what are the, 
what's your day to day like when it's when you're the head counselor sort of later on in your career? What's the day to day of camp look like? Uh, <clears throat> I can remember uh, going through. I just kept track of this just to see what it was like to see if I was experiencing what I thought I was. And I recall not sitting down um, from breakfast till dinner for over two weeks straight. Wow. You know, you have 300 plus people and there's all kinds of opportunity for interaction. And a head counselor is in on those interactions. So... I would um, go about my day usually juggling five or six different things that I needed to do in short order. And anytime I'd accomplish one, somebody would, you know, have something else. And so it was, it was like juggling five or six tennis balls, walking around the whole time trying to get things done. And um, one of the things I tried to do... When Denny said something, uh, and he said, oh, don't, you know, you can take your time on it. Don't worry about that. I did things immediately. Hmm. When he said something, I knew that the quicker I got it done, um, the less is on his head, the better off he can move on to something else. Yeah. So uh, I remember working 44 days in a row one summer uh, and averaging Mm, somewhere between 12 and 14 hours a day of uh, of working. Yeah, wow. With that kind of a situation, I mean, are you working closely with the program as well, the program director to kind of... Um, I worked somewhat with the program directors, but my job was more to go watch and to look and to supervise and to establish a presence and to um, to watch the staff and make sure that they were performing uh, as coaches in a manner that was acceptable and that would help the kids to grow and develop their own sense of esteem. So um, a lot of listening. Yeah. Gotcha. So now now that you are no longer at camp, um, and, but your camp career is this sort of capsule of time. Uh, when people ask you about camp, what are some of the great stories you tell them? What are some of the well, ones that really stick out for you? One of the things that sticks out for me is that I'm one of a couple people who lived here year-round. And uh, camp was three months, there were nine other months where I got to, you know, have an ice fishing shanty out and uh, sledding with my boys. And um, so I had, I have a real family development connection to camp uh, that most people aren't aware of. Yeah. So I got to be in a beautiful place and raise my children here. Um, so that's something that really stuck out. But as far as, I mean, camp is, it's camp. (laughs) There are so many stories and so many crazy things that happen. You couldn't 
write a script. Somebody should write all this down. And <laughs> well, we're working on it piece by book. piece. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, amazing. Well, let me uh, let me frame it this way then. Early on, when you came up, now you said right away part of the appeal was just being here. But what are the things about camp in those first couple of years that made you realize now I want to come back to camp? Like I, it's not just being here, but there's this place to come because you could have come to the Northwoods once you you know got old enough. You could have come on your own for a visit or whatever. What's the thing that made Camp Ojibwa the thing you wanted to come back for? Well, foremost in my mind was helping Denny to be successful at camp and to develop it in the way that he envisioned. Um, I wanted to be part of his staff, uh, kind of a right-hand man, if you will, and um, I felt a real responsibility to do the best I could for him. Uh, he had done that for me as, a, as my wrestling coach, he was my mentor and, and has been my mentor as a, uh, a man in my life. And um, I wanted to spend time with him. Yeah. And the relationships that I developed with people, um, that, that's the, the number one attractant to coming back on a, a regular basis. It's just so good to see people at the beginning of the summer and so tough when everybody's leaving. Yeah. It makes you just want to come back and do it again. Um, and Elliot could tell you that. I mean, over the years, he just spent a ton of time just help, helping kids develop and just keeping those relationships going. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Friedman, his name uh, hadn't come up. Did, did you and Elliot have a good relationship as well? Elliot and I had a great relationship. He's just such a brilliant man um, and uh, his own man. And I respected him uh, deeply and I just enjoyed being around him. And yeah, I, I, I always looked up to Elliot. I always looked up to Dennis as people who um, really had a wisdom about them that uh, I needed to listen and learn as much as I could possibly. Yeah, well put, well put. Uh, and I also think, you know, it shouldn't be underestimated that when, as they moved toward the transition and Denny took over camp, um, there were a small handful of people that really helped make that work and made it possible. And you're right on that list. I mean, like he needed that right-hand man, like you said, I mean, not only was it making sure he could be successful, but there was a period of time where they weren't even sure they were going to be able to keep camp open right. and, and having that, that tight knit circle of people who were so close to him, who did care so much about both him and camp collectively. I mean, you know, I think camp owes a lot to you well, to be I, quite honest. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. And I owe a lot to camp. Um, it helped me develop as uh, an individual and, like I said, I got a chance to work with these gentlemen who were uh, a whole lot smarter and a lot, um, a lot more, I don't know, tuned in on how to deal with kids. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from Al and Mickey and Denny and Elliot and Paul James, and uh, they're just really good guys to be around. Yeah. Now, one thing I've heard many times um, is 
one of the most memorable things maybe in your work here at camp is the way you would wake the kids up in the morning. I've heard a lot about that. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any comments on that? <laughs> uh, I didn't want them to miss anything. Um, you know, it's a great day, beautiful morning, 7.23.30, time to get up, boys. You know, I just, uh, I, I wanted them up and enjoying the day. It's just a, it's a fantastic place. And they should really get up a lot earlier and just get a chance to see the sun come up. Sure. Here. It's just beautiful. Uh, now, it's been my duty in, in Cabin 14 for a long time to be that voice that wakes them up in whatever manner is appropriate that day, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's hard to explain to an outsider how much bonding happens in the first five minutes that any 16-year-old boy is awake. Or any really any camper. is that, <laughs> The moments right. of waking up, there is such a connection you create just by waking them up. Right. Whether it's, you know loud or not or however you, you do it you know there and, is this connection you, you know there's something <laughs> about sleeping up in the north woods with the window open and the fresh air and you're just out like a light and night come in you know good morning boys <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the last thing they wanted to hear yeah. but i tried to do it as as kindly and uh, respectfully as possible. Yeah. So. And every once in a while, they you know they give you a little feedback. <laughs> I get a little yeah. fe- feedback in the moment, but you know we know it's all out of love on both right. directions. Um, it was one thing to get the kids up; it was another story to get the staff up. Oh, sure. And occasionally, you know, the staff was not um, assisting me in getting these children moving in the morning. So there were issues there that I had to, you know, politely deal with. (laughs) So, and some people that I've mentioned previously have um, been very good at kind of staring around uh, early hours and kind of missing breakfast. (laughs) So that was a big thing. Yeah. You know, take counting heads at breakfast, make sure everybody was around. Nice. Um, what else? What am I? What am I missing? What's the? Um, there's a spirit here at camp um, that is, you know, it's you can feel it. Um, and Denny's been the embodiment of that spirit for for a long, long time. Um, those of us who have been able to be a part of it and to develop tight friendships um, and all working for the good of camp, something bigger and beyond ourselves, knowing that it meant that young kids would have an opportunity to develop and mature um, you know, when you see the whole big picture of it, it's uh, it's just an absolutely remarkable place. And um, I'm just delighted to have been a part of it, and I am really glad that it worked. And when Denny took it over um, to turn it into the extraordinary place that it is now, and he's done every year something to make it better. And uh, camp is amazing. The facilities, uh, 
but it's still camp. It's still a place that somebody from 40 or 50 years ago could come to and feel completely comfortable in. It's timeless, and it's, uh, it's, it was wonderful. Yeah, well put. So the last thing I always ask everyone, just tell me one more great camp story. Well, when I was head counselor, um, David Sears and John Goodman were here, and they were always lifting, and I would get up early and go into town and do my workouts. And so we were kind of, you know, hitting it hard. And I remember one day there was sand coming to for the beach, and those guys had, I don't know, missed breakfast or something, and so I decided I'm going to make this tough on them. I, I had the... Uh, the driver dumped the sand on the opposite side of the beach so that <laughs> the sand would have to be moved. <laughs> and I assigned those two guys to doing it. And uh, I remember they were kind of like flabbergasted. Um, <laughs> what is this? You know, we have to move this huge pile of sand to the other side. And I remember kind of supervising them along and setting out planks for the wheelbarrows. And uh, then we got into, I got into it with them. I just decided, what the hell, this is a, this is a good time. And and we had uh, wheelbarrow races with loads of sand, and we had we were timing them, and uh, it, it was just uh, it was a hoot. <laughs> I mean, we were just hauling, and uh, so we turned uh, what would have been a a bad thing into a really good time that we all remembered. That's fantastic. Well. Thank you so much, Glenn. I oh, for can't sure. tell you, this is a real pleasure to have you here and to be able to record with you. So thank you for taking the time. Okay. And uh, camp is great. Awesome. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Glenn Nesper. Right there on the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, a good time was had by all. Uh, I actually, I, I wasn't there for Glenn. Uh, he was gone from camp before my time. So we didn't have any uh, crossover time at camp. So this is the first time he and I had really sat down and had any kind of conversation. Um, but it was very cool to talk to him. And then also to uh, hang out with him afterward with Denny uh, because they have such a close relationship. And it's, it's really joyful to see the two of them together. It's great. Okay, as always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbleHistory.org or swing by the website, CampoJibbleHistory.org. I am going on a big run of recording new podcasts right now here in Highland Park. So if you know someone who I haven't talked to yet, who I should talk to, drop me a line and let me know so I can get in touch with them because uh, I'm looking to record a bunch of new episodes. Okay, that's about all of that. Uh, I'm going to bundle up. Put on a scarf, put on a hat, probably put on some gloves, and go out and have a cigar. Bye.